Hello, and welcome to Ecology and Me, a citizen scientist podcast for curious humans. I'm Kate Douglas, curious human, and today we're talking about wildfire. Wildfires are definitely having a moment. There were over 8,000 more wildfires in 2020 than there were in 2019. About 10.1 million acres burned last year. That is roughly 10.1 million football fields, or the length of almost 16 billion potatoes. You know, in case that's the way you count. So I sat down with fire ecologist George Lacasio to understand a little bit more about what makes wildfire so wild. First of all, what is fire ecology? So you're studying the combustion process in the many things that it influences or affects. Really, though, it's post-fire ecology. Because I'm not studying, like, fire burning. I'm, like, after it burns, smoke was produced. I collected it in, like, a little vial of water. And I'm going to use that water to see how that affects seed germination. But before George was collecting smoke in vials of water, he was a hotshot. Before I went to college, I was a wildland firefighter in Arizona on a type one hand crew. And so we're called hotshots, not to be, you know, tooting our own horn there. But according to the U.S. Forest Service website, hotshot crews were first established in Southern California in the late 1940s. They were called hotshot crews because they worked on the hottest part of wildfires. These crews provide support in all phases of fire management and incident operations. I presume that most of George's work consisted of putting out fires, but George actually got to start them as well. Hotshots often use fire to fight fire. One of the many tools that you can use to try to put a fire out is putting a fire around the main fire in you hope to be a somewhat controlled manner in hopes to remove the fuel from the main fire with the fire we just lit. I mean, the moral of the story is you're, you're removing either the fuel or you're removing heat or oxygen. So the fire triangle is heat, oxygen, fuel, the three things that combustion needs in order to sustain itself. So as a firefighter, you're gonna remove fuel by either putting fire down on the ground and burning the fuel away or manually removing it with tools and chainsaws and stuff like that. So those are part of the tool like box that we have. You can also use bulldozers. They can just bulldoze a line and then boom, I don't have to dig. So thanks bulldozer. What about that stuff they throw on fires from planes? I think I've seen it on TV. So on a fire, they call it air attack. So there's aerial resources like helicopters and planes and things like that. Um, And then there's like ground forces, which I was a ground force being on the type one hand crew. And then there's like other kinds of fire engines and things like that. And so what they're carrying, the like big red stuff that you usually see is called slurry. And the way that I like to think about it is it makes water wetter. And so it's just like a chemical that's in water so that it doesn't evaporate so fast. Because in the Western landscape, when it's like 110 degrees out, you throw water down, it's going to evaporate real fast. And then the chemicals also help like slow things like fire progression down as well. And what's the most common cause of wildfires? Is it humans? It's probably humans. Humans. (laughs) We as a 
as the human race have been using fire for millennia. We've used fire to like heat food, to have chats around fire, to like have conferences. We smoked meats. We used fire as an ecological tool. We love combustion now because we drive cars and we like to have combustion for the for the heat that's being filled in this room right now. Like we love combustion on like every contact. So humans are definitely like up there on how fire is being put down on the landscape, but lightning volcanoes. I mean, even like, like rocks rolling down other rocks and like rocks creek can make sparks. Like, again, that's probably a lot less common than lightning or like a volcano. Um, but uh, like, you can't take that out of the realm of possibilities. And forests have pretty incredible ways of coping with wildfires that we're still learning about. Plants have adapted and I'm going to say loosely evolved in fire adapted ecosystems to deal with or just evade fire, but still persist in that in that landscape. For example, like really thick, flaky bark. So a fire comes through, you have fixed flaky bark. The heat will heat up the outer layer of the bark but then the bark will kind of crinkle off and like take the heat with it so that it keeps and maintains the living tissues under the bark from getting to a lethal temperature. And then there's other like amazing examples of like say serotonous cones, which is an awesome botanical term for like a cone that only opens when it reaches a certain temperature. Usually that temperature is the temperature of a wildfire, which can be like a couple hundred degrees. The average surface fire on the forest floor might reach temperatures of 1,472 degrees Fahrenheit. Extreme fires can reach temperatures exceeding 2,192 degrees Fahrenheit. Yowza. So the lodgepole pine, which is in the western part of the United States, it has serotonous cones up in the tree treetops so that when a big old catastrophic fire comes through, burns all of the trees, but the cones opened up, a wind shakes this, the pine cones, those pine seeds fall to the ground, all of the competition got killed by the fire. So now it has a, essentially a competition-free landscape to germinate. You know, there's a lot of attention on wildfires as they're happening, but what's going on after the burn? What else is germinating in that time? Serotonous cone style. So it depends on many, many factors. It depends on how intense the fire was, what was burning, um, what was the atmospheric conditions that the fire was burning in. Was it an actively growing or uh, an active growing season fire? So like here, if it's the summer and we burn a landscape like the pitch pine scrub oak, there's going to be different effects after that fire than if we burned the same landscape in the dormant season, the winter. And there's pros and cons to both of those. So like we'll see different fire effects after we burn in the spring or the summer. We'll see different fire effects when we burn in the winter or the fall. If we're an ecosystem manager, what do, what do we want to see based on past knowledge of like, if I want more wildflowers I should burn in the fall. Or if I'm trying to like kill woody plants like shrubs, I'll burn in the in the spring and the summer. So it depends on the intensity, the season. There's tons of factors that go into it. George described the difference between wildfire and prescribed fire to me. 
Because humans don't just use fire to fight fire, we use it for all kinds of reasons. So wildfire is when it's a fire that we, in quotes, don't want on the landscape. So it was started in a place, say, where there's people or natural resources or, you know, gifts from nature, like things that we want to save. If there's a fire in that landscape, we're going to want to put it out. Prescribed fire is when we put fire down on the landscape for a reason, to reduce fuel, to induce seed germination, to induce woody plant growth or kill woody plants. So it's it's really like a tool in an ecological manager's toolbox where like we can use fire as is one of the many tools we can use to manage this landscape. Or we could use fire as a management tool to like grow more blueberries, which is what indigenous peoples have done in New England for like thousands of years. Quick recap. Humans are unfortunately the most common cause of wildfires, and hotshots like George have lots of tools at their disposal to try and manage them. Basically, to stop a wildfire, you either have to remove the heat or remove the oxygen. Sometimes you drop slurry from planes. And even though humans have used prescribed fire to help manage landscapes for thousands of years, we still have a lot to learn about fire ecology. What happens after the burn? Thanks for listening in. If you want to support the podcast, visit my Patreon where you could submit questions for future episodes. Please send me your burning curiosities and we can learn the answer together. That's at patreon.com slash ecology and me. I'm Kate Douglas. Stay curious out there. This episode was recorded, mixed, and produced by me. Theme song is by the amazing Matthew Dean Marsh. Follow us on social at ecology and me.